This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I was always the different kid with the funny name and the funny coloured skin and the funny parents. To think about bringing a child into this world, into a family that is different, it was a concern and it was a, how are we going to do this? So I think it's just bringing up him in an environment that is just full of love and understanding for everyone and everything. You almost feel like you're you're missing a limb because you go off to work and then they're not there, but he's stressed about them. Because, I mean, Paris Paris is a career nanny for 10 years, so she knows kids in and out, but having your own is totally different. The purpose of the film is to introduce these trans characters as just people. that's, That's all we are. Max Jehutha is the founder of creative agency Future Studio. He's also a proud trans dad who will make his film debut in an upcoming comedy drama about a trans woman returning home for Christmas and all the tension, secrets and lies that come with it. Having always felt like the different kid, Max is open about the extra layer of what it means to bring up a child in a family that is perceived as unique. And as the first dad on this show... I learn what it's like returning to work just two weeks after your baby is born. Here, we talk navigating work and parenting as the secondary caregiver, moving the family up to Queensland to be part of the film, and the importance of surrounding yourself with people with open minds. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the warm and wise Max Jehufa. Max, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to hear your story. Can you start by introducing yourself and your family? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm Max Jehufa. I'm 38 years old. Um, my partner, Paris, who's also 32, we're all from Melbourne, and my son, Windsor, who's six and a half months. So you've had a really interesting and very varied career to date. Can you tell us a bit about your career journey? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. So I um, initially graduated as an architect um, back in 2010 now and then sort of sat in that for a little bit, but it just wasn't quite hitting the spot. So I, um, against my parents' wishes, um, (laughs) threw myself into music and did that for about um, six years. I actually became a recording artist for about five of those years off the back of being on a little show called X Factor, which hasn't been around for a while, but did that. Yeah, yeah, it was a very interesting journey and sort of came off that with a recording contract, which was great. Amazing. But it is it is hard slog and Australia is quite difficult. So, and as I, I think I've said to many people, I liked uh, making money and if you like making money, you don't do music. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so then I sort of went into sales and marketing media side, which sort of was in entertainment so to speak, and did that for, for quite a while, which I really loved and enjoyed, obviously, because um, you get the creative, but you also get the business side of things. And then in COVID, unfortunately, our entire agency got made redundant. So I just thought, you know what, I'm over relying on other people and started my own business. So that started back in 2020. I uh, started my own creative advertising agency and have done so for the last 
yeah, three and a bit years, which has been great, really great. Amazing COVID, such a time warp when you said that. It sort of was like, well, maybe you started a year ago, but three and a half years later, here yeah. we are. And when did having children come into the picture for you in Paris? Was it something that you were stressed about fitting into a career or fitting into work? Or did it happen quite gradually? It's funny because when we sort of started dating, which is nearly six years ago now, five and a half years, I was always the one that was sort of like, oh, I want to have kids because I'm about eight years older than her. And, um, and she was like, no, 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 like, I don't think I want to have kids. And then sort of as time went by and we sort of started thinking about it, and obviously we had to do uh, IVF to conceive, we just went, you know what, we better hurry this along. And then she sort of started to go, okay, you know, I definitely, definitely want to be a mum. So, yeah, so it sort of, it, was, it wasn't, and then it was very quickly um, a thing for us. So That seems to be the case. Do you think COVID exacerbated it? We were sort of trapped inside. We thought about how much family and love and mm. all that means to us. Do you think that sort of catapulted you into start trying? Yeah, I think COVID just gave people a lot of time to sort of self-reflect because you weren't so absorbed with the rest of the world because you didn't get access to it. So I think with us, it was a lot of, I mean, she worked all through COVID and so did I. So we actually spent a lot of time apart. But mm. um, we, yeah, we did. It was a lot of thinking and understanding and having the time to do the research on what does it actually take to, to conceive a baby through IVF and went, shit, we got to get cracking. So, yeah, mm. definitely. A much more drawn-out process than can be for some. Can you tell mm. us a bit about your IVF journey? There were some things that we touched on before we recorded that I found really fascinating and felt really naive mm. about. So I'd love for you to share your journey with us if you're happy to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so initially we thought we'd had a few friends who, who had conceived through IVF and it was always it was always super tricky for same-sex couples um, because you have to go and source the sperm and things like that. So we thought we'd jump straight into it. And um, because it was during COVID, Victoria's got this really strict set of rules. And funnily enough, it's only Victoria where you're not allowed to import sperm from overseas or any other state. So when we started IVF, we got told that the waiting list to even see the list of donors was six months. Oh, wow. And once you get to see the list, you've got to actually find one that you like. And then if you find one that you like, they've got to agree to be available. And each donor only gets allocated 10 families ever. So, yeah, so we thought, mm, so we gave them a call. And we sort of said, look, can you just let us know what the donors are like? Because we're not going to mm. wait for six months and then sort of, you know, be disappointed. And they go, you know what? There's only four. So we went, uh, wow. okay, so what? And there's like, well, yeah, due to COVID, people weren't able to donate. Like people either had gone back overseas or there were just, you know, a handful of people around. So there was four donors. I think of those four, I probably knew at least one couple that would have had a child from that from that donor. And we're just like, nah, this is too close to home. We're just going to change the plan. So we very quickly aligned with the new IVF clinic in Queensland where the, the laws are quite, well, they're not. there's no laws really, just, the, the usual sort of legislations and you can import. So we actually went on an app that was like a dating app for sperm donors and basically just swipe right for a bunch of ones that we liked. That's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. And then they sent us the files and we picked the one we want. We went, okay, cool. So that's that done. So we got that imported into Queensland. But the issue was we were in lockdown. So we had to get government approval and, and um, basically pass us to say, cool, you guys are receiving treatment outside of Queensland, but you have to do hotel quarantine. 
So because of the the timing of the IVF, yeah. um, we actually started IVF in hotel quarantine. So we were yeah, doing... Just to add another layer to the whole process for Yeah, you. just to add something a bit more complex. Um, yeah, so we were having Zooms with the nurse. Obviously, I'd never injected anyone before, so I had to sort of learn pretty quickly. But yeah, we started injections of hormones in, in, in the hotel and that was really really difficult because mm-hmm. Paris was sort of having hot sweats and and we weren't allowed to leave the room obviously we didn't have access to fresh air and a lot of the time they just didn't care we would call them up and say look we need can we just get one hour of fresh air a day and they're like no nah. so it was tough it was super tough mm. wow yeah so we rolled out of hotel quarantine basically into the clinic and then and then everything rolled out from that incredible so how long did the process take from thought to conception from thought to conception I reckon probably a good year and a half because there's so many things you have to do prior to even um looking for sperm like you've got to you've got to see counselors you've got to get pre-approval you have to get health checks Paris has got to do a whole lot of different tests yeah it's a long process incredible so then Paris does eventually become pregnant with your son Mm. Linza can you tell us a bit about how pregnancy went for her and how you felt through that time? Yeah, look, it was it was surreal because we'd waited so long and you plan and you, you sort of imagine it for so long. I think when we finally did conceive, and we conceived very quickly, which was unusual because I'd heard so many stories from my friends that were like, guys, it's going to take you years. Like we mm. failed so many times. We, we got in we got pregnant first go and it was a bit of guilt actually because it was like we know how much people had suffered and and gone through and we just we it just happened um mm. so it was it was just absolute joy but then at the same time like a little bit of like oh should we celebrate should we just sort of hang out a little bit but it was with friends and family that we hadn't seen for two years so it was amazing it was a great time incredible and then Windsor does come into the world last July I believe how did those first few weeks go with you you had a really interesting reflection about you know, you're there and around for a few weeks and then all of a sudden busy with work and feeling feelings of guilt. But before we get to that, how was those first few weeks before you had to get back to the grind? Oh, look, it was tough. I'd actually, because I'd been working for myself for so long, I'd made a, a new commitment to a client where I was going to be working sort of full-time for them for a, a period of time. And that was just as Windsor was born. So it was, it was difficult because you sort of go from having all this flexible time to like back to a schedule and um, I could only take two weeks off. So initially it was it was like the shock of becoming a parent plus the bliss and then the shit, I've got to go now. Like it was it was hard. It was like I wanna I wanna lap it all up, but at the same time I've got to be ready to to not be around, which was super hard. What was the dread of that like? I mean, for me, the dread of return to work is a slow build up of me being the primary caregiver and the breastfeeding person, all of that sort of stuff. So it's quite a slow build up for you. That happened two weeks after your baby is born. How does that yeah. sit with you when that happens so quickly? It's such a whirlwind. Yeah. Well, you don't really get to think about it. And I think when those two weeks are up, cause you're in that bubble, you kind of go, oh, and then, and then the safety and the, and that bubble sort of bursts and you kind of you almost feel like you're missing a limb because you go off to work and then they're not there, but you're stressed about them. Because I mean, Paris, Paris is a career nanny for 10 years. So she knows kids in and out, but having your own is totally different. And I was super aware of that. Uh, so it was difficult. There's a lot of guilt and a lot of sadness for her 
just because of being alone and not having anyone around. Our family's all up in Queensland. So, yeah, it was it was really tough. It was one of the toughest things ever. And when you do go back to work after that two weeks, you're working really long days. As you say, you're working for a client as well as running your agency. And on top of that, you're feeling guilty of leaving Paris with Windsor so much and not being able to support all the time there. Can you tell us a bit about how your weeks actually played out getting used to being a working parent and being a family? Yeah, well, the first couple of weeks were tough because I wanted to do as much as I could to help. So it was up, you know, up during the night and, and, and all that sort of stuff and then and then going to work. But I think after the first, I think it was probably about the first three or four weeks when I did go back to work, it was we very much sort of were like, shit, like I need to sleep. I was getting up at five and, and, and going in and, and working and I'd be home at about 7, 7.30 sometimes. So, A, I wouldn't even get to see Windsor which was horrific because he was brand new and I just wanted to spend all the time. Um, but B, like, she would just never get a break. But to the point where she was like, no, 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 like, you have to work. Like, some, you know, you've got to do that. So just sleep. So, and then it was the sleeping and feeling guilty that I was sleeping and wanting to help. But it was, it was, it was a mess. It was very difficult, very tricky. Now that you're six and a half months in how have you reflected on that journey so far is there anything you've done to help it or do you think it's more just as your baby grows bigger and there's more routine around that or is there any learnings yet or are you just making it up as you go along so far I think it's a bit of both like you you learn a lot sort of in that first I think two to three months but also with I think we just found our own rhythm I think Paris sort of just surrendered to the fact that I like I'm going to be sleeping that time at night and she was sort of doing that nighttime stuff and then I think as he got older he was a it got it did get easier obviously Mm -hmm. he's still not a great sleeper but she's sort of got that bit down pat and I guess for me I try and get home earlier when I can and then as you sort of said the weekends like they're they're my days I try to get home for bath time if I can and stuff like that but the weekends that's that's sort of when I do as much as I can and we spend as much time together yeah, we did actually touch on this before recording too. I said what an interesting insight when we were emailing about this interview. You talked about how much you value weekends and me talking about of the side of being the one on parental leave who is waiting for the husband to have the weekend off. Yeah, yeah. But I've never really thought about it from your side of the fence. So can you tell us a bit about how much you value weekends and what you do as a family to fill up your cup and help Paris feel a bit rested but also get that family time in? Once the weekend hits, you revert back to to it, it. You know, you're both on, and then I do, when I can, I just you know let her sleep in. But it's hard because she's in her routine, so it's like oh, I don't, I can't, I can't sleep or I can't have the nap or whatever it is. But it's just you know doing the things that I don't get to do, like sitting him down and having breakfast together and feeding him with solids and giving you know taking him and putting him down and giving him a, a bottle and just those things that I don't get to do. So doing as much of that as I can. But then obviously as a family going out and going for a walk or going out to brunch or today we started swimming lessons. So me taking him and doing that. So it is, it's just like the best time. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never thought about it selfishly. I've only thought about it on my side of like, please get home for two days straight. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So then in August, you were asked to audition for a film that you'd been yeah. involved in writing in. Both as a creative and as a trans man, this was a huge thing because it's a trans drama film. Can you tell us a bit about that? I was part of or co-writing the script, which started about a year and a half ago now, just making sure that trans characters are being written into film correctly. 
Um, because a lot of the time, unless you've got the perspective, there's just little things that get left out or, or aren't quite right. So mm. um, really wanted to nail that down in the script. And so once that was done, I think one of the characters just for some reason naturally started to evolve into what the other guys were sort of saying, like, that's you, like that character is you. And they sort of toyed with that for a while. And they're like, what, like why don't you just give it a shot? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like I've, I've done performing as a as a musician but as a, as an actor it's very different it must be like an entirely different thing it's very different it's funny because once you're in it and when you start doing it the same feeling come back as you do when you're doing music which is weird initially you don't know so I was just like oh anyway I yeah I, I agreed to to sort of go through the process and yeah and so I got cast in August and and that was very nerve-wracking because there was so much prep as someone who'd never acted in a film or sta- or anything before to sort of get ready for that shoot. So, yeah, nerve-wracking but exciting. What was it like to actually be a part of a creative project like that? Oh, it was amazing. The fact that it was, it was if, if you think about sort of Australian comedy and drama, so if you think of The Castle versus Meet the Parents, it, that's the movie. It's funny, awesome. it's dramatic, it's emotional. It touches on some really serious issues, but in a really lighthearted and digestible way. And that's sort of, you know, the purpose of the film is to introduce these trans characters as just people. That, that's, that's all we are. Um, we all have our own drama. We all have our family troubles and it's always at Christmas time. So um, it's a Chrissy movie. So, yeah, even better. But, yeah, it was super important. And I think just to be able to be a part of that is huge. But then to be actual part of the cast and, and really performing a character was a whole other level of opportunity and it was very exciting. So it's called A Savage Christmas and it's out in October this year. Awesome. Well, we will definitely be watching. So you had a pretty big time, I guess, in filming, huge filming days, had to move up to Queensland for filming. Can you tell us a bit about that side of things and how that actually went as a family trying to navigate long filming days, relocating Mm. and parenting all at once? Yeah, it was interesting. So I started prep for the film in October, which basically consisted of going to acting classes and a bit of health and wellness training um, as well. So that added another layer. So I was, you know, instead of being up at five, I was up at four, just things like that, adding in acting lessons on top of work, on top of running a business and then parenting. It sort of got to around December and I thought, you know what, Paris needs a break. So we actually moved her and Windsor up first so they could have time with both our families and have a break and get help, which is really good. And then I was planning to go up at Christmas time and, and meet them there once sort of my prep had finished, which I did. But unfortunately, they all, they all got COVID just before Christmas, which put a spanner in the works for all of us because I hadn't seen them in about a month and a half. So oh, wow, um, that's hard. It was it was hard, and they ended up in hospital quite sick. So, and I, I I just I couldn't be with them to get COVID and and potentially take that on set. And it it was it was very it was a very hard issue and situation mm-hmm. to juggle. And we sort of both made the call that nah, you know, I need to stay away and I need to stay healthy for this to, for this shoot. And luckily, we had family up that sort of stepped in. My mother-in-law stepped in and, and Paris's sisters and sort of took over and helped up there and got them out of the hospital, and which was life-saving. But it was honestly the hardest time I think we've ever been through together as a family. It was just so intense, mm. so intense. 
And so then filming does begin really long days up there. How long did that go for? And what were the days like? I imagine 12, 14 hour days of filming and then trying to get back home. That's right. Yeah. So I was up at about 4, 4.30 every day and I'd probably get home about 7, 7.30 p.m. And it was just nonstop. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. Um, it was it was amazing, but it was it was really difficult. And mm. I basically didn't get to see Windsor at all during the week, which was really hard. Again, weekends were sort of our time. And it was sort of what was going on in Melbourne, but like amped up times 100. Mm. So tricky, but again, you know, it, it was something that, that had to be done and it's just given our family and, and then, you know, everything that we sort of work for that much more opportunity. Mm, and yeah. such an important story for you to tell, given what you've had to experience in life. Such an important thing for your family and that Paris would have thought you can't not do an opportunity like this. Like it's just so huge. That's right. Yeah, it, it was it was huge for me as a person and as a trans person and, and being able to just put out one more voice and one more perspective. But also Paris trained as an actor for so long and she sort of, when I found out I got it, she's sort of like, babe, you just got a feature and you didn't even try. You will be doing this film. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's so like, I've seen how hard it is. Me. Yeah, do it for me. I was like, so yeah. yeah so um, yeah. Find the flag for the whole family. So we've talked about some of the big challenges, I guess, of time and trying to be there for your partner, for your child. What are some of the positives of being a working parent and what have been some of the highlights for you, I guess? Yeah, I think just celebrating the wins together and knowing that like everything that you're doing, like, you know, whether it's me at work or whether it's Paris at home, like we're a team and and, and it's literally, it is 50-50. We're both doing everything we can to to create a better future for our family and opportunities and I know that whenever we sort of step back and we're like god we we do so much but it's so worth it it is so worth it because we've just created a life that we're so happy with and so happy in so you know and that's all that matters I guess it's is the happiness and the loves there you have this lovely family you've just been in this amazing film that's coming out soon you have your own creative agency what do you think your younger version of yourself would think about the max of today oh I think shocked like whoa that's a lot yeah obviously super proud and and super happy but just it's a lot and it's um you don't really think about it much in that sense of like if I was to speak be speaking to myself from the past or or the you know yeah it's a lot but super proud and and happy yeah and as a trans man, what is one of the biggest things that you want to teach Windsor, especially along the lines of diversity, inclusion and equality? Yeah, I think, look, the biggest thing, and that's something that all we think about a lot as a family, um, because we are, we're a rainbow family and, and it, we always will be, that will never change. So I think it's just bringing up him in an environment that is just full of love and understanding for everyone and everything. It's just so important. Like, I think when you start to place fear and doubt in your own mind as a parent, that then translates into kids that are vulnerable and, and aren't born with prejudice or judgment that they learn it. So you've just got to be so careful um, what you say and what you do and, and just raise them to just love everyone and everything for who they are and what they are. Yeah. It's a family that's not, I guess, represented as often in the mainstream. Did that feel mm. like something you may have reflected on more than say someone like me was it something that you had to I guess mull over more during that conception phase I'm not saying you should have definitely I imagine you would 
Yeah, I don't think there would be a rainbow family that doesn't. There's always the thought of, and you know, not even not even from a family perspective, just from me growing up as a kid that mm. you know, immigrate. We immigrated to Australia when I was four. I was always, you know, the different kid with the funny name and the funny coloured skin and the funny parents, and you know, so having lived that and building the resilience from that, I think, kind of makes me a little bit, I guess, uh, what's the word? I, I'm I'm immune. I, I, like not a lot phases me and troubles mm-hmm. me, but to think about bringing a child into this world, into a family that is, you know, is different. Um, it was a concern and it was a, how are we going to do this? But I think it's just so important, like it, to be surrounded by the same kinds of people who have open minds and, and stick to your, your community and your people. And the world's changing. It really is. It, it really is like just the fact that, you know, we're doing feature films that, that, you know, have two, two trans leads is like crazy. And that's why it was so important to do this film as well. The, the rainbow families and people aren't represented in mainstream films or, or not music, but artistry, it, it, they aren't. They don't exist. Mm. Um, so not being able to have or to bring up a child and not for them not to be able to see themselves is, a, is really hard. So that's why. I do it. That's why we do it as a family. We try and do it as much as we can and get involved in these projects. Mm, well, it's amazing what you're doing and sh- you should be very proud of it. Is there a sense of relief, which is an unfortunate question. I wish I didn't have to ask it, but is there a sense of relief that you're bringing Windsor up in a different time to the time you grew up in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that I didn't really discover what being trans was about until I was in my early 30s. I mean, I always knew that it existed, obviously, <laughs> but the the fact that I only figured out that it was an option and that I was comfortable to pursue that option in my thirties, which was, you know, eight years ago, which is mm. not that long ago, is is huge. Like I always say to people, being trans these days is like being gay like twenty years ago. You know, um twenty years ago I was coming out of the closet and it was mm. sort of a bit uh now it's like what, gay? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. So times are changing. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a different world. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Times yeah. are changing and I hope they continue to because there has a, been a lot of great work done, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And Absolutely. things like your films are only going to help it. So hopefully upwards and onwards. I have one more question for you. If you could solve one problem for working parents today, and as I said before, it doesn't just have to be one of a few mm. things have popped into your head, that's fine. Mm. But what would it be? I think um, for me, it would be education in workplace. Like, I mean, yes, I worked for myself, but then going back into the mainstream workplace and being around that. And a majority of people don't work for themselves, unfortunately. I wish they did because it's so much better. But it's just education around, you know, I've, I've even had bosses that have kids and don't get it because because they've being conditioned to a certain way of behaving in the workplace, right? It's not because they want to, it's because that's all they know. So I think just some sort of education program or process that just goes, hey, if you've got people that are parents, sorry to swear, chill the fuck out. Like, let them work from home, give them the time that they need because it's not doing this. They're not just being late or running late and not being there because they want to. It's because there's just something a lot more important going on at home Obviously, you don't do it because you want to. Um, Yeah, just the education process around. That's such a good point. No one's actually said that yet. And it's funny, like, 
We all talk about how important family is and how nothing matters more than family, but then we go to work and we sort of pretend that our families don't exist because we're not really that's allowed exactly right. to act like they exist. So that's an amazing yeah. reflection. Great answer. So where can people find you online if they want to find mm-hmm. you or your work before we go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Paris and I have actually documented all of our IVF and all our journey. If anyone's interested in the IVF process, obviously reach out and watch our, watch our reels. So we're at Paris and Max on Instagram. Um, and you can also follow me if you like at um, Monsieur Max um, on Instagram. And um, yeah, just reach out, ask questions, whatever. We're here. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. It's been an amazing one. You should be very proud of yourself and the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and letting me share my story. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.